On this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with an old friend named Joe Miller about music. And he's a good guy for this conversation. He's an accomplished musician, not only as a performer, but also as a composer and educator. At this point, I think he may have spent more semesters teaching music at the collegiate level than I actually spent in college. I met him in 2005. He had a standing jazz gig at this brunch place that a friend of mine owned, and I frequented for the Eggs Benedict and excellent Bloody Marys. I told him what I was doing with the Shanaki, and one way or another, he composed the theme loop. You know, this one. When we reconnected, he told me that the Shanaki theme was the beginning of the end for him. It was the first thing that he had composed, even remotely, for hire. Shortly after that, he left town because he got a scholarship to get a master's degree in jazz guitar. But halfway through that, he decided he wanted to focus on composition rather than performance. Between that moment and now, he scored over 300 pieces of client-approved music for commercial projects, including 26 film scores. His company is Sounds Like Joe and can be found at soundslikejoe.com. He really can do just about anything. I mean, obviously jazz, film scoring, and 17th century French court music. But personally, he's pretty into ambient compositions at the moment for reasons that we talk about in the podcast. As you'll hear, our conversations range far and wide, and I learned a lot of things. But the impulse for this conversation was that we, professionally, are in similar spots, with different tool sets. I use words and images, he uses sounds, and we both do this for hire. And what I really wanted to get at, aside from my natural curiosity about everyone else's creative process, and music in general, is something like a creative ethos or work ethic. What's the best way to approach creative work to get the most done while producing work of the highest quality? So without further ado, my conversation with Joe Miller. So, that's a, so is a terrible word to start on, but I'll probably leave it in there. It's natural. Anyway, we're, 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 we're talking about practice, right? And how important practice is to be good at something creative. Essential. And my contention is that people don't talk about that work enough. You know, you see the people see a performance now on social media, or they'll see an image of something and they don't see the the amount of time that goes into it to get someone to that point. And I said, you got to have talent to give. And you corrected me and said, there was a difference between craft and talent. What's that difference in your mind? So this came to me by a writer named John Zerplatten, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, he was the keynote speaker at the Triangle Game Conference years ago. I think it's called the East Coast Game Conference now, but it used to be just Triangle Game Conference. And um, John was the keynote speaker, and he gave a great presentation on um, the superiority of craft and how he he liked to focus on on craft over the idea of talent because talent was was too easy to dismiss. Um, and I may be putting words in his mouth. This has been many years at this point. Um, but he, his, his, he was basically saying that, like, you know, um, once you perfect a craft to a certain level, it, it becomes so refined that it is art in and of itself. He was like, you know, that's why you go to the museum uh, in modern times and you'll see a table that was made hundreds of years ago. It's just a table, but it's ornate and handmade and well-crafted to the point where the object has elevated 
itself to something more. But um, yeah, so, you know, ta talent and craft, I, I kind of separate the two. Um, and it also uh, puts the responsibility on me to continue to refine craft, which I think, you know, and you, I, as a musician, I get this all the time. People are like, oh, you're so talented. It's like, no, this was a lot of hard work. You know, don't don't just dismiss it as like, a, you know, a fairy blessing um, that that some people are. Now, there are there are, you know, uh, people who are naturally uh, more adept or whose life experiences um, advance them at a very young age in a different way. Um, but that again is not necessarily just innate inborn. It's, it's gotta be experiential. Um, there's, there's actually not, uh, there's a couple of books that were surveys of the research on talent, right? And that's one, one of the places that 10,000 hour idea came from. Yeah. You need 10,000 hours to be a master at something, but, uh, none of the research really shows evidence of talent. The question is. Why would someone, what is it that draws someone to a subject that would cause them to put in the time? Yes. So for writing, and this is almost ac accidental for me. I, I mean, or it was, I got it for free. I just read so much as a child and continued to read. But really there is a base of reading that you have to do to be a, a good writer, just a, a proficient writer. And the world is such that people don't engage in that behavior that much anymore. So that level of talent isn't there. Right. Um, it doesn't seem to be there. Um, it seems to be scarcer. It might always, anyway, but, but the amount of, um, so the amount of practice it takes to, to play a song, like to play thus, like a song, not even well, just to play the whole thing all the way through is pretty insane. Yes. Um, I, I, I read this thing about, um, how to learn a jazz standard mm. and it was in a month and the first week or the, it was broken down by practice sessions. But you know, the first week was learn the melody. Second week was learn the chords. And then it was just going through, like figure out what arpeggios you might play over this, figure out some transitions. I forgot what all the steps were, but it was just working the thing from back to front in a month. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, and I, I said, I explained that to somebody else who's a, He's a musician friend of mine. And he's like, man, that sounds like too much work. <laughs> I was like, but listen, how well you, how well you would know that song, how you could play it. Like that made sense to me. But I think uh, the idea of trying to learn to spend a month on the same song is would drive some people nuts. Well, and that, I think from, you know, and this is my former retired music teacher kicking in. Um, I think the quality of practice and the methodology of practice can uh, create efficiencies which would then make learning the songs a different process um, whereby if you if you're just kind of going um, by natural inclination and you're learning on your own especially as a beginner learning that first song does take a really long time as you get more inclinated and you learn more about practicing music you start practicing other things which inform you and make you better at learning the other song more quickly. And yeah, so I mean, for, you know, by the time I was in my 20s, I would have guitar students that would come to a lesson and they would say, I want to learn to play this song. And I had never heard the song before, ever. And within the first listen, I was not only able to play along with the song, but I could just write it down. And then I could just show them how to play it. It wasn't something that I had to sit there and figure out and learn how to play that one song. I had learned so much about music theory. I had played so much guitar that it was just, and, and the song that was brought in was also simple for, for my, for my experience level. So, you know, the, the act of picking that song up was almost instantaneous and there are countless musicians every week whenever we're not in a pandemic go out to a jam session they might kind of be familiar with a song but they can just play play along by ear because so many songs follow the same patterns and that's yeah something you learn through through practice yeah and like i i can do that with with blues blues is really simple i listen to a lot of blues i played yep. a lot of blues i especially played harmonica so i can play you know basically blues i can hear it and i'm like okay i know where we are mm -hmm. um 
more complicated music, you know, I guess that, and then trying to learn something that was more complicated makes it easier to, you're like, oh, well, thank goodness. I know where I am with this. Um, but the same thing, the same thing happens in writing with the structure of a, of a, a, a piece, you've got the, the great controversy between people who are plotters and people who are pantsers, you know, mm -hmm. see their pants and they just write the thing. <laughs> but what you notice, if you look a little more carefully is that, Anybody who writes by the seat of their pants is writing a specific form of story. Mm. And they've internalized that form or understand that form. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a question. It's kind of like um, you would know the you would know the changes, the structure of the song, right? What is that song? Rhythm changes, right? Yeah, very common for Jerry. Yeah, I got rhythm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So somebody calls that, everybody knows those changes, and then you build a song on the top of it. Maybe a detective story is like that. It follows certain rules and conventions and you know genres that if you break any one of those expectations, the story breaks. But if you've written, you know, if all you've done is read romance novels and you're writing a romance novel and you've got that genre, you know, in you. Mm -hmm. And you don't do that and you can just sort of write it. Yeah. What is it? The, the, it's called, there's a specific name for like the hero's narrative arc, you know, that you find in Star Wars and the Odyssey and, you know, the young uh, adventurer who's counseled by the old wise man. And there's yeah, the, the, and the, hero's, the hero's journey. The hero's um, journey, the best, yeah. The, and, and Joseph Campbell explains it in, in damn nigh mythical terms. It's kind of difficult to use, to, to, to use as a, as a constructing a story. Um, and a lot of other people have interpreted it. My favorite interpretation of it, explanation of it is uh, Dan Harmon. Mm -hmm. He's the guy who did uh, community and Rick and Morty. And I, yeah. he, he, he did a series of five posts called story One Hundred and One, explaining his take on that. And, and he, he said that it's probably analogous to songs too. Um, he said that, you know, what, what's a song? Or sorry, what's a, what's a story? What what is it? What's the minimum number of things you need to have a story? And he goes, it's kind of like a banana, right? If you want to draw a picture of a banana or show a banana, well, it's it's kind of got to be yellow and it's kind of got to be this shape. Yeah. But there can be many different bananas. It's got to be, you know, kind of pointy at one end and have a handle at the other end and all that stuff. And he he uh, in that thing, he's like, you know, it, it's kind of a circle. But your circle can be lumpy and it can leave part out and it can do part like, and it can still be a story, right? Sure. It just needs to kind of have a lot of these different things. Like if you think about, you know, uh, I don't know, um, Bach and John Lee Hooker. Well, <laughs> they're both music, they're both music, <laughs> but yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, as far as like music goes, it's, um, so music is, is, a retrospective tradition as you're learning it a lot of times you're looking back and following the footsteps of all of the culture before you um blues is a perfect example of a of a strict set form that everybody follows um there may be variations there's a, the most common the 12 bar blues less common a 16 bar or an eight bar and then there's some variations on that, which as you spin further and further away from the center of what blues is, they kind of become rock and roll. Uh, they're one, four, fives, but they're not following the typical 12 bar blues pattern. And what makes blues blues is that you retain that rigid structure and you allow the musicians to work around within it as a group. Um, and that's, you know, the essence of, of blues, uh, you know, the, a similar thing since jazz kind of grew from blues happened in jazz. Um, it was so common what you mentioned earlier, rhythm changes. It was so common. They had a name for it, the contrafact and the majority of the Parker, Charlie Parker catalog, a lot of the, the tunes, those guys would play were based on other songs. Um, and these contrafacts, you know, they would take the the structure and they would write a new melody so that they, would, they could record it. There'd be no copyright violation. Um, and then, you know, they would just, as a group, play around within that structure. Each pass through, they had a name for it. They would be able to communicate. I'm going to take two courses. I'm going to take three courses. You know, we're going to trade, you know, courses. We're going to trade half courses or fours, you know. And I mean, they had a conversation. You think that's unique to that, but it's not true because as you go back through, you know, European music, especially in um, as you get behind, you know, earlier in the, the Baroque period, 
early classical period, they had very strict forms. They did the same thing. They had the fugue, the jig, um, you know, uh, these, I'm not obviously not a classical musician because there are several that you could just, a rondo that you could just, uh, rattle off and they would be specific forms, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting concept of, of the parallel between, you know, writing and the hero's journey and then the other narrative forms that you find in, in music. And that's what makes it easier to learn songs is once you figure out some of the core structure, you know, the theory. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the advice I give to someone who wants to write a book and they always say, Oh, that's so hard. I'm like, nah, it's not really hard at all. Um, writing a great book is hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, writing a book takes some work, but it actually doesn't, I actually don't even think that it takes that many hours. I think that people just aren't, aren't really either diligent or, it takes less, I think it probably takes less effort to write a book than it does to train for a marathon and run marathons. Um, and, and people do that all the time. Sure. Uh, maybe there's, there's a bunch of pre-work that has to go into it. But one of the things that, that I suggest, and I got this from Lawrence Block, who is a craftsman, a mystery writer, just a, and, and wrote great stuff about books. But he said, if you want to write a book, you, you take five books that you, in the genre that you want to write and you out, you read them and you outline them and then you'll know how they go together. Yeah. And it's, it's an unavoidable step. There's so many stories are written. So many songs are written in the same form. And, and people now argue, and I agree with them, you know, that the, the one, four, five, six, or whatever that, yeah. Those are the right ones that every single song uses that progression or some variation of those chords and it has the same kind of hook and it's a producer's game, but it's musically very homogenous right now in terms of pop music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we haven't, we haven't un seemingly there's something about that, that people have an unending ending appetite for. Familiarity, like, comforting. Yeah. You want the same thing, but a little different. So, um, it's in movies, it's in books. I mean, you it's, know, it's everything. Yeah. So with, with music, well, I guess, I guess there would be, there would be a difference too, because if you, th if you talk about, well, I'll ask it, I'm really asking this, but I'm going to say this as a statement because it's easier to say it as a statement with pure music. You have to know that language pretty deeply or be familiar with it to understand what's going on. If somebody, you know, does something different. Um, what's a good example of this, you know, that you, I don't know if you're familiar with jazz and somebody takes a song in another direction, it hasn't been taken in before, or it throws back to a solo that, you know, I don't know, Charlie Parker did. And if you know, Charlie Parker's solo and that thing has more meaning or the song or it references people who quote one song and a solo sure. over another song. Right. And that, that becomes interesting if you know that. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there's like, that's, that's sort of a cl closed little world or more limited, but there's something about songs like the story of a song or the way it works that everybody wants. Uh, there's same things in stories. Like when I'm writing a lot of the time, um, I, I usually have this conversation with proofreaders. I'll, I'll, I'll have a line and they're like, this is kind of a strange construction. And I'm like, well, that's throwing back to this other thing that was kind of a strange construction and you haven't read that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to leave that in there for the, for the two people who are going to be, Oh, that was, that was good form, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but, but with, with this, anyway, bobbling this question here with a story, like you've got a, you've got a character overcoming a problem. And, and in my mind, what makes a, a good story work is there's an internal problem and there's an external problem. So the external problem is I need to defuse the bomb. The internal problem is I need to prove myself to my father or I need to win the girl or I need to have my self-respect or, you know, whatever. It could be anything. Um, I need to overcome my fear of uh, ticking clocks, whatever it is, right? <laughs> that That's a very small story that makes the big story really meaningful. Yeah. In, in music, so I know I like I know enough to know I can hear it and I can feel it that you know the 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 fifth note of the scale and the fifth chord wants to resolve to the first chord and it's mm. that game that it just seems like every song is playing one way or another. What is that what is that thing what's that essential structure is that right or is that wrong? Ooh. That um 
I would say that I would say the answer is based on the perspective of the listener. Um, you know, is it right or wrong? It depends on the listener, what they're listening for, and the context that they're listening in. Um, and you can have great music, which is roundly rejected um, because the context of it is wrong. Um, there's a couple of examples of this. You know, one is, I believe it was, uh, oh, let me think. Yeah, Ar Arnold Schoenberg, who came up with a new type of music writing, um, the 12-tone uh, system of serialism. When he first performed some of these new serial works, the crowd rioted. They literally lost their minds. Uh, they, I mean, it was a literal riot. People freaked out. They screamed. They were angry um, because they were f faced with something they didn't understand. They weren't expecting. They didn't pay for that. They wanted something else. Um, and what they were presented with was this earth-shattering cacophony of music that had never existed before, and they didn't like it. <laughs> um, a smaller scale version of, of the, the concept of uh, context is like the Beatles. The Beatles are unquestionably amazing songwriters. They are a cornerstone of rock and roll. They are undeniably good music. But I've heard music academics belittle the Beatles before as ugh, simple folk music. You know, because the perspective was, the context was not right for what they were appreciating at that point in time. Um, and it happens all over the place, even between great musicians. Um, Louis Armstrong once ridiculed uh, Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker and the entire movement of bebop, saying that it wasn't jazz, it was just this rebop stuff, you know, and, and it was, it took some negotiation to bring those people together. And eventually, you know, Lewis, you know, the, the godfather of jazz of that era, you know, it kind of played with the guys and, you know, got accepted the movement. But at first it was, it, it was like, man, this is not appreciated because the context of, 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 of how you analyzed and appreciated the music was wrong. So are the one, four, five songs, are they right? Are they wrong? depends on who's listening and, and what they're trying to get out of it. You know? Yeah. I, I think that, well, it's two things in what you said. One is somebody asked me about criticism and about giving feedback and how, how I do that. This is in a professional context. And uh, I said, well, what, what you have to do is you have to understand what the thing is trying to do first. Mm -hmm. And this is either, I don't know, literary criticism, I suppose it would be new school criticism. It's not, um, maybe maybe even before that but you understand what is trying to be accomplished by the piece and then you try and see whether it succeeds or fails on its own merits like a uh a bebop song is trying to do something that bebop's trying to do yeah so you can't necessarily bring another standard to it right sadly that's not doesn't seem to be the way that academic criticism at least uh, operates anymore but it's the only sane way i think as someone who it, as someone who is making something right, <laughs> like trying to make something or make something better, mm. you have to see what you set out to do and then see if it got there. And then that's useful feedback to give to somebody. But with writing, I think the true thing is all, a lot of people can tell you what's wrong with something and be right about it. Um, but they will be wrong about how their suggestion about how to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's, it's weird to divorce those two things because when someone goes, it would be better if this happened, you're like, oh my, oh yes, or it would be better if or this is the problem, right? Yeah. This is the problem with the thing. This is where I lost interest. You're like, oh, of course. And they're like, here's what you do to fix it. And you just have to not listen to that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or you have to reinterpret it. You know, they, right, they, right, right. they don't have the language. I mean, if they were the writer, they would write it. If they were the composer, they would just write the music themselves. They don't necessarily have the technical language to describe what they want, but they give you an idea of what they think the solution is. And then you kind of have to filter and interpret, um, and hopefully, um, move it in the right direction based on that feedback. Yes. Yeah, that's all of client management yeah, right there. Right there. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you have to do it pleasantly. 
Well, that and also the other thing that's helped me with that too is as as I've spent a lot of time working with marketing people, and I I married one, and I begun and begin to see the struggles that happen at a higher level within a company or in someone's career or problems mm-hmm. like like the troubles they face is just a little bit of empathy. Oh yeah, for them, you know, because I've got a creative tool set and I'm really good with it, and and like I like I tell people, especially in a meeting when they start getting nervous or worked up, I'm like, look, we can do anything. Like we can, uh, we can figure this out. Yeah. We let's just figure out what we should do. Right. And then we can do it. Yeah. Um, All we need is time. Yeah. So when you, um, so talk, talk to me about what it's like to compose for film, to compose for commercial stuff, you know, for hire, because I know you came out of a, you know, a, I mean, you were a, you were going to be the next uh, pick jazz guitarist here. I won't, say, I, won't, I, won't, I won't say Joe Pass because he seems inhuman to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's another, he's another Joe, so we can just say, yeah. yeah. But no. You were going to be the next Joe Pass, yeah. It would have been nice. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, there was, there was a time in my life when um, playing gu- guitar, uh, being a guitar performer, that was it. That was all there was. And there was, then there was a transition. And now I spend a lot more time trying to find work as a composer and then trying to satisfy people with that service. And that's, uh, that's kind of how, how I look at it. I am a craftsman for hire. I want to do the thing that pleases the other people. And that's a lot of translation, just like we were talking about, because they might not have all of the language to exactly describe, but you know, you can find ways to, to get through that. And yeah, that's, that's what I try and do. Um, I like it. It's fun. Um, it's music, it's composition. Um, it's not necessarily, you know, uh, some of the stuff that I'll do for people is very valuable to them. It satisfies their need and their goals. If it were, you know, a weekend art project and I was going to make some great artistic music statement, I might do something different. Yeah, of course. (laughs) But, um, yeah, you know, you, you use the conventions and you try and find the conventions that say the thing that needs to be said musically and help other people do that. Do you, uh, do you play games with yourself with assignments? Like they, Mm. they have a bar, you know, they have a target you're like, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to write this entire paragraph of copy and I am not going to use the letter R anywhere. You know, that's a stupid <laughs> example, but, but you know, you're like, I'm, I'm going to try and do this with this thing. It depends on the, the situation, the schedule of the client. Um, there have been times where I've, you know, had um, the freedom and the, the inclination to, try and bring different things into a project. Uh, I did a film called pink several years ago now. Um, and I really wanted to use like quirky, strange, uh, sound sources, broken things to make the, the uh, soundtrack, um, because the character was broken in such a way. Um, and it worked because that project had the, the, it had the foundation that would support that idea. Um, it had the the schedule and the creative team that allowed me to kind of pursue that that thing. Um, in a different situation, I would I would not be sitting around like a, one, the opening of the movie starts with um, a beat that's made from record noise, um, vinyl, you know, kind of the the clicks and the noise of like vinyl at the end of a record, chopped down, yeah. resampled, cut into to individual hits and then played as a drum kit. Um, really fun in some context, if you were doing a job and you tried to do something that was a game like that, it would be the wrong time to do it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I, I do, um, some things, um, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to use, you know, this concept, this chord in here, or, you know, I mentioned serialism earlier. I'll, I'll get a project and be like, oh, I'm going to write this with a, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to use a serial process to write this. And it's just a fun game at that point. Um, 
keeps it interesting as I'm trying to make something for somebody else. So, but not, you know, yeah. I can't say it's something I do every, every project. <laughs> so, no, no, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I do that every project. Right, right, right. Sometimes. When, like when I had, uh, I don't know, this was a long time ago. I, this is back when people really did catalogs, but I had this assignment every year that would roll around. It was like three years in a row. I had to write a catalog uh, full of descriptions of chainsaws. Yeah. And, and, and they want, I was just like these chainsaws, like this one's a little bigger than the last one. Do you even want to have a description copy? I'm like, nope, we got to have description copy. <laughs> like, well, I mean, you know, there's only so far you can stretch phrases like one of the best in its class, you know, yeah. those, those, those stock and trade, you know, terrible copywriting things. Um, but it really was, you know, this chainsaw is a little bit bigger Yeah. than the last one. You, you just have to figure out something to do to keep yourself from, you know, so I, I'll, 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 I'll put, yeah, I'll put those things in, into the corners of the internet where it really doesn't matter. So like in between jobs, and this gets back to a, earlier in the conversation practice, you know, if, if I have a day where I'm in between jobs, I still put something on my calendar. I'm going to write this piece of music. I'm going to do something. And then I have it. And what do I do with it? Well, I'll put it online and sell it as stock or I'll just stuff it in a corner. But then if you put it in these catalogs, you have to come up with a description. I just put one up yesterday and the description for this song is injects interesting, intelligent, innovative implications into interstellar images. <laughs> so do I play games? I guess, yeah. I guess there's the evidence. Um, you're, you're that guy. Well, I mean, you know, let's be real. It's, you know, stock music. I don't care what you think of my description. <laughs> either either like the song and buy it or don't. Um, well, it just makes it hard to search, you know, as, as a guy who searches for stock music. Well, sometimes. see, those are, those are all keywords, too, because they, they, yeah, it's true. they, they fit the, uh, this, it's a, it's a synth sequence that has, um, so it's, it's, I'll admit it's sort of keyword stuffing too, but. No, yeah, but it's, but that that's okay because you're trying to find the thing, but there's such a, yeah. Searching for good stock music is just, that's it's, hard. It's terrible. It's, it's a hard thing to, yeah. You should, you should try the other side is when you're putting it online and having to tag all of that stuff. It's awful. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Especially if you want. Like part of the problem used to be it's, it's better now, but if you're casting somebody for voiceover, everybody mm. had this announcer, a voiceover kind of, you know, in a world where they were all yeah. trying to be that guy rather than just talk to somebody. So if you just wanted a natural, and sometimes I think with music too, it's like, I would just like a natural piece of music here. You don't want the epic bang, boom. You know, I think I, the same. Yeah. Yeah. Give me, give me your, give me your um, simple folk music. <laughs> I like um, that. Yeah. But or, or you do you do see the same thing in the music scene. You the the epic voiceover guy has the mirror image which is the epic trailer music guy which is all the you know the the ostinato strings do 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 you know and then big yeah. big percussion hits. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you Hans. <laughs> um it's like if everybody else hadn't ripped it, ripped it off. I mean, it is awesome. Like it the is, first time you heard that oh, in, in watching a movie, you were just like, holy shit. It's so much fun. And it's fun to do. I'll, I, 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 you know, I kid, but if somebody were to call and say, we want you to do, do that, I would be like, I love this. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the Snickers uh, bar of composition. Yeah. Um, so, so practice to bring it back to practice. Cause I have this, I have this, I have many ideas. I have too many ideas, um, more than I will ever finish. Mm -hmm. And my, my particular kryptonite is if something's not going well, I will create an interesting thing also to think about and work on, to not think about and work on the thing that's going well. <laughs> I, I've gotten better about that over the years. So I'll think of them and I'll write notes down them. I'll even keep, you know, I got, a, I've got a huge directory full of just plain text notes and I'll keep a file going. And every time I think of something, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. I write it down now. And okay, that part of the muse can go, go screw off for a while while I actually have to do this useful work. Yeah. Um, so one idea is, uh, was the laws of craft, mm. right? The principles that apply to any craft. And just to go around and interview a bunch of people 
who are really good and talk to them, not about particularly their domain of expertise, but how they approached it. What, mm -hmm. what do you do? Like, um, here's an example, here's an example. Like, I think you should never phone anything in. You should try and make it as good as it can be because the day will come where like, especially if you're doing, you know, for pay projects, you can be like, Oh, this isn't a thing. I can just uh, whip this out and be done with it. But then the day comes where you actually get a real opportunity to make something mm. and you find out that you don't have the chops anymore or you miss it or you're kind of a hack. Mm. I, I think there's something almost morally wrong with, does this make sense? Yeah, sure. Um, um yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing with phoning it in is that you're not going to get the call back, you know, um, and that's the most, I mean, you know, if, if you're working from the perspective of uh, business, um, that's important. I'm not going to say it's the most, important, <laughs> but it's very important. So you have to, you, you have to give it your all, you know, I mean, yeah. Got to pay the mortgage, man. That's right. You know, and I mean, hey, you may be faced with a certain um, set of situations where you're not going to be able to do um, the miracle. You're not going to be able to pour everything into it because somewhere else down the line, something got phoned in and you just don't have the bandwidth and the space. Well, yeah. Yeah. But yes. So absolutely. you have to grind, you have to grind it out. But I, I consider that to be different than phoning it in, you know? Yeah. That, that's different. That's not your... Um... So I'll get, give you an example. I did this a long time ago, back when people used to do ads for furniture stores. Um, I, I had this first agency I worked at, I had this assignment to do an ad for a like Memorial Day sale, mm. you know, because furniture stores, for some reason, whatever the holiday is, you have to, is, is an excuse to sell furniture. <laughs> um, and like I had really good creative director. I was trying to do things that would be really creative and win awards and do all this stuff. And it's a, it's a furniture store ad. I mean, the agency shouldn't have done it, especially trying what they were trying to build mm. build for. But somebody knew somebody or they knew the owner. Or I don't know what it is. So this thing hits my desk and I wrote and I sat there and I tried to make this the world's greatest ad. And the uh, it was a 30% off sale. I mean, how many 30% off sales have there been in the history of the world? So I came up with a headline that was, you know, because it's just a it's a page of furniture, like just shitty black and white pictures of furniture you probably don't want to buy wagon wheel couches and, <laughs> and my headline was shown seven everything on this page shown 70 percent actual price <laughs> which is way too clever and it got killed immediately and it was you know memorial day sale or something like that was the headline yeah. but damn it i was trying <laughs> uh, hopefully you had like a a b Ready to ready to slot in right after they shot it down. You'd be like, okay, here's here's Memorial Day, thirty percent off. You're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't think I was that smart then. <laughs> no. I think it probably took it took it more personally for a furniture store ad. Man, I don't know. Oh, um, the salad days of work. You know, it's that's um that's an interesting thing because you you know you can put sweat equity into something and really love your work. And it be shot down instantly, and that's a that's a uh, that's a hurdle and a, a life lesson, you know, all in itself. Yeah, there's. Um, I hung out with a bunch of glass blowers for a while, got to know them, and I would watch these guys and girls do their work, and they would make the most amazing thing, and they'd be going and they'd been you know working on it an hour, two hours, you know, whatever, and it would fall off and break. It would hit the floor. Mm just shatter into a billion pieces and they were just like Meh. do it again <laughs> do it again <laughs> yeah because that that was the that was just the way it was and i that was what one of the times those light bulbs went off i was like i really shouldn't get upset about it when anything gets killed like that was something that they were making that was legitimately beautiful and like oh yeah it was just it was just stolen from them by gravity mm -hmm. yeah no that's a that's a tough craft yeah, that's um but if you if you were to pick like a piece of advice for that applies to any craft what would it be ooh you know, one thing one, one second here that applies to any craft um 
I would say, I mean, and this is an, unfortunately just tagging right along with what we just said, but it would be, you know, em, embrace the failure uh, rate at the beginning. Um, learn through the struggle and try and find a way to enjoy not the struggle, but the the process is probably the most important part. I would say find a way to enjoy the process more than the result. Um, and then you can make stuff forever. Um, I think if you're if you're focused on, and I, I see this kind of as a you know as a studio operator, music producer person, I'll, I'll have artists come in here and sometimes it's like, you're not really into the process. You're trying to get the likes. You're trying to get the hit, but that's not what this is actually about. It's, it's, you, you've got to invest in, um, you know, and appreciate the long, difficult road of the process. If, um, if, if you don't love it while you're making it, no one's going to love it as they consume it, listen to it, read it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, love it. I mean, you know, I, I would say just enjoy, you know, you have to, you have to enjoy it. You might not love every single one and that gets in, back into finishing what you start, you oh, know? Yeah. That's you know, I mean, you, you, that's uh, you know, you might, you might be in the process, but you've got to make part of your process finishing things. You know, that if you if you don't finish the thing, then you didn't complete the process. So you actually failed on step one. Um, and you need to finish the thing even if you don't love it. If three, four days in, you're like, oh, this is just, just finish it anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. that's the that's a really hard thing to do. Um, as I, And I'll, I'll confess, I have a lot of unfinished songs on the hard drive right now. Um, um well, there's uh, a screenwriter friend gave me this piece of advice. He goes, if you don't figure out how to solve this problem, if you, if you don't finish this thing, you won't figure out how to solve this problem. You'll never know. Yeah. Or you'll have to, or you just have to come back to it later. Mm -hmm. And man, that's good advice. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to say before, when we were talking about practice is uh, I think that people who are better um, at at any skill are better, you know, playing guitar, whatever it is. I think on some level, um, well, with, with things that are a bit more like a musical instrument, there is kind of a path and steps with, with writing a novel. There's so many different pieces. You could put it together a lot of different ways. Composition is probably like that, but mm. playing an instrument, you know, there's, but, um, the people who, uh, are really, really good. Aren't just good at the skill. They're also good at practicing. They're better at you than practice. If somebody's better than you, they're probably better at you than practicing. So the thing to figure out might be, how do I practice better? Oh, rather yeah. than how, how do I be great? Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of things come to mind. Um, an old guitar teacher always had a sign on his wall, and it was, uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And that kind of yeah. <laughs> kind of echoes your your sentiment. Um, you know, the other is, uh, oh gosh, there's a, I mentioned this in another conversation. There's a book called Zen guitar. Um, and it's really at its essence, a book about enjoying the simplest parts of the process. And in, in, in this case, it's the practice session, you know, uh, how to find, um, some happiness, in in that very simple thing and it's you know um eastern influence and uh kind of along the uh the lines of uh the Tao of poo or uh zen. i think there's another one called zen motorcycles or zen and the art of motorcycle yeah yeah so yeah. Th th this guy spun that same concept into uh music and guitar and practice Actually, I think the uh, uh, the original book in this vein was Zen and the Art of Archery by a German guy named Herigel. Okay, which is also a great, um, which is also a great, uh, um, great book. But it's it's about kudo, 
and this this German guy was in Japan, and he's watching all these people practicing formal archery, and he's like, "Well, aren't I supposed to hit the target?" And they're like, "Yeah, not for the first five years." <laughs> yeah, which is, which is crazy because I know a couple of people. I know a guy who's a master of kudo, and I mean, he can shoot really well, but all of the other stuff that goes into that, and the stuff that's of value, you know, cultivating, because you're not gonna, nobody's gonna shoot anybody with a with a bow and arrow. I mean, at least I hope not. No, not if anymore. You are, <laughs> if you are, if you are, call someone and talk to, find, get some help. Yeah. That's not, not, not a healthy uh, action in the 21st century. Maybe hunting, but not with those crazy, you know, big non compound bows that they use too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so practice process, um, yeah. Ooh, ooh, music. Yeah. See, this is the cool part because I can just edit this part out. Because sure. up till now, we we just went nonstop. I shall probably leave it in. Leave it in still. Because <laughs> it <laughs> it becomes cool if you say you. I'm probably leave it in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um. So, the the other thing that I didn't get to ask you the other day is uh, music recommendations. Mm. What What are you listening to that you're really into and is really turning you on? Okay. So. Again, the importance of context of, um, you know, because I could just spout off recommendations and people would go and listen to it and be like, that's not for me. But there, there's a lot of stuff. So uh, what am I listening to? Just at random ranking or anything. Uh, a guy named Ulfur Arnolds, who's a Swedish composer, pianist. He's got a great tiny desk concert have been steadily listening to him for a couple of years now. Um, and I keep going back to it. It's high replay value for me. But that's a personal place. I'm in a place right now where I'm very much enjoying ambient, textural, simple, repetitive, minimalism, calming music. Personally, I feel like I benefit more from that given the context of the world we're in. So that's, you know, that's a good one. Um, along that same lines, um, you know, there's some interesting uh, people who I've discovered through, through that. Um, oh gosh. Uh, Scanner does uh, some very interesting, almost sound art. Um, there's uh, a guy named Robert Rich and these are more, uh, you know, amb ambient things on the pop side, but I really loved, uh, the Billie Eilish stuff. Um, you know, some of, some of that was, was a nice development, um, that was interesting, uh, on the retro throwback side. I, I loved the, uh, Sturgill Simpson release, um, for that old, um, old country sound. Um, uh, you know, jazz, um, I kind of got my fill on that a few years ago, but I still stumble into certain um, uh, advancements or f f new fusions that, that I think are really interesting. Several years ago, uh, Craig Tabor uh, had an album called Junk Magic, which is a great um, exploration. Uh, there's a, a producer that worked with Bill Frizzell and some other musicians on a on a a non-standard jazz approach instead of the band playing the tune together they took a music producer's approach and created in layers and the group's called flora tone which is kind of a fun um jazz influenced uh thing um i've gone back to some old um flute music uh, lute music uh john dowlin and, and things of that nature um yeah i mean you know for work i always uh love checking out um dave porter's music i think is really fun to hear thomas newman every score he writes i, I like to listen to and study uh autecker yeah. um uh Who? richard Who? richard divine and autecker i think is how you would say it i'm i'm actually i think that's right but i'm not 100 percent sure a-U-T-E-C-H-R-E. -E. Uh, they have some interesting interesting stuff. Caitlin Aurelia Smith, Susan Chiani. They're kind of on the ambient modular side. 
uh, Autecker and Richard Devine are, are more of the uh, very diverse, uh, sometimes glitchy, noisy type things. But yeah, I mean, just whatever whatever fits the mood. Um, a couple of years ago, I was really into Carl Stallings, so I spent a lot of time listening to all the music from the Looney Tunes soundtracks. I don't really re- recommend that on the first uh, ask, but in the right context, that's brilliant stuff. Yeah, I had uh, either either in MP3s or CD. I probably ripped it from somewhere. I had a whole bunch of that Looney Tunes music. Yeah, um, that and that. What's that? Um, it's like the, called the Electric Factory or something. It's that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and then I found the song on Spotify, and I was disappointed that the, that's just sort of like a like a bridge in there, like it's just a a middle part, and it's not the whole song like that. Yeah, I mean, as far as like, I mean, there's also like the the idea of the virtuoso that's pushing the boundaries of of things for that. I mean, I, I loved the Punch Brothers releases. I loved uh, hearing Jacob Collier stuff. I loved hearing um, uh, Snarky Puppy and um there's just so much amazing music out there and you know my daughter's constantly like dad what's your favorite what's your favorite and i we have it's a game now because i'm adamantly against favorites um you know i just have so many that i i respect and like and try and study that's all that's where i'm at guthrie Guthrie yeah. for the guitarist guthrie who govan Govan. yeah he oh and he's got a group called the aristocrats which are Man, they are so good if you want like a real edgy yet musically, especially rhythmically complex rock band. It's kind of like what Dream Theater, Next Level, but as a trio. Uh, huh. Really interesting. I've seen him several times. Uh, you you know the aristocrats joke, don't you? Yeah, that's what the band's name is origin okay. from. Yeah, I was wondering about that. What do you what do you call that? The aristocrats. <laughs> that's that's it. Yeah. Oh, man, um, well that's uh that's a lot. There's something in there for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like literally a band for everyone who listens to this podcast. <laughs> hey, if you've got and if you've got kids, um, the. Uh, <laughs> the lullabies from um jewel are amazing <laughs> really yes no they're they're really well made she did a great job on the on that album <laughs> one of the one of the other things that i would throw into that law of craft thing like if i could go back and i could grab my younger self uh and and give this piece of advice it, it would be not to just don't be cool yeah like like everything because there's something in everything you can use absolutely yeah Um, that's that's critical i made that mistake i think everybody makes that mistake when they're young um because of the imprint of social uh trend and culture um but i was i was in my late 20s before i gave into real country music and it happened because of willie um you know, and that's I, I I look back on it now and I'm like, man, I was so dumb. I wish I would have even just as a kid just tried to pick up on some of that stuff because those some some good good tunes. So uh, you know, I, I, I resisted country music for a long time and then I uh uh this is a terrible story. Um I, I particularly don't like stadium country. I mean there are things about oh, yeah. it like the production and whatever, Ooh. but it's just it's it's pop music, right? It's yeah. not. And then I would remember, like my roommate in college got me into some stuff, like, um, and thank God he like John Prine, mm, yeah, and I mean just amazing songwriter, um, you know. And then that that sort of pushed me, hearing that and being like, well, that's not actually even really country music. And what do I really like about that? And then some or some you know like alt country folk and being like, well, that's that's almost kind of the thing. And then you dig back into that, that, that world. And it's like, there's really a lot of great, great songs there. There really is. And I, I'm, I'm not afraid. It's just, I think I've had the realization that music is more ephemeral than, um, a lot of art. I think it's, um, 
even if it's recorded, it's, you know, it's just easy for it to slip away. And that, you know, that was the original music experience. There, there was no way to experience it unless you were in the presence. So maybe that's in its nature that it comes and it goes and disappears. And the vast majority of it, it is there just to be discovered if you look, but otherwise it's, it's you're never going to know. It's the same thing with, with, with everything. I mean, with, with stories, certainly, um, you know, if you think about the sheer number of cowboy novels or whatever, you know, uh, romantic, and I mean that like in the time period or, you know, mysteries or all the stuff that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote, all these millions and millions and millions of stories that filled magazines that people got paid and yeah. made a living for that nobody's ever going to read again. Yeah. I mean, maybe. And then you figure, okay, I love that one thing. So you dig into it and you're like, ah, you know, Robert, Robert E. Howard, the guy who wrote the Conan stories, he wrote all kinds of stories. And I picked up an anthology of them for 99 cents. And then also, I guess it's also where you are too. Cause when I was a kid, like those Conan books were the coolest thing ever. And now I go back to read them and I'm like, mm, wow, that's a lot of adjectives right in a row there. <laughs> um, the, there's still, there's still stuff there, but uh, yeah, I think it all, I think it all, most everything just fades away. It does. I, you know, I mean, relative to, uh, to music, I feel like um, especially with the advent of, the digital playlist, which is automatically serving you based on your preference is a, an unfortunate trap that will limit a large amount of people to a very narrow exposure of music. Um, and I think that is in turn gonna, gonna create, if it hasn't already, a feedback loop where the supply is then narrowed to fit the demand and you have less diversity and you have a population which is completely unaware of how much great music or great writing or other things that they'll just never discover. Because, you know, the idea of like the, the record, going to the record store and bin diving or, you know, um, getting an anthology and like going through lots of stories. And I'm not really, I hope people preserve that. And, you know, as they age, they figure it out. I, I try and encourage people all the time to, you know, the best music being made today is not something that Spotify is going to recommend to you. You're going to have to dig, get on Bandcamp, dig around, and you'll f be surprised how much unique and interesting things are out there. Um, but it's not what they're putting on the shelves, you know, by and large. So. Yeah. And, but I mean, it's, it's, it's bad that way, but it's also good the other way because if like I can get anything, I can, I can get to anything now. It's just, I, if I don't know what it is, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to get there. But before, I think we talked about this with learning music. It's just, it's the same way with books. Like I, if you physically, like I really, in college, I really liked, and I still do, uh, you know, gypsy jazz, Django Reinhardt, swing, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I mean, Good luck finding the record. Good luck finding the CD, <laughs> let alone someone else who's going to give you a tutorial or really know what's going on. I'm sure if I had gone into the music program at the college I was at, there would have been someone who would have thought they would have known what was going on. Yeah. And they, and they, they would have been very good musician and they would have been wrong because it's a very specific kind of technique and, you know, think like, and like you really have to, listen to figure out what's going on there. I'm like, I couldn't do that. I wasn't, didn't have any musical training. I was just, there's no chance, literally no chance of me playing that music. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have enough, a good enough ear. Oh, the other, another law of craft too, which would be work on the thing that you don't want to work on that you're weakest at. Ooh, that's a good one. That's, and that's tough to do. It's, uh, it sucks. It's humiliating. Um, in it, I have a, I have a analog for this, which is a, like a push up. So if you want to become stronger and healthier doing push-ups, you do push-ups really slow because, and then you try and hang around in the spot going up and down where you're absolutely the weakest, mm. you know, if you go to the floor and then come back out and it's terrible, <laughs> that's the weak, that's the weakest link in the chain. Yeah. Most people don't, you know, 
they want to feel good about themselves when they work out. Now you should kind of feel terrible about yourself when you, when you well, do that push up. That gets back to the process. You know, I mean, it's, it, you know, practice is the same thing. You know, it's um, just like you said, you work on the thing that you're weak at. And uh, I, I feel like musicians, I've said in other conversations in the past that really great musicians have some form of obsession. I don't want to call it OCD because there's a lot of baggage that goes along with that, but they will, they will latch on to something and they will fail at it a lot of times before they finally get it. You know? Yeah. The obsessions, obsessions, the right word. Um, Cause if I had known, honestly, if I had known how hard it was going to be to write the first book, I wouldn't have written it. Mm. <laughs> Ha but for some reason I was obsessed with it and I danced around it and pushed towards it and away from it for years and years and years. Um, and after I wrote the first one, I'm like, well, might as well do a second. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm still kind of obsessed with it. I was like, wow, that was terrible. The next one should be easier. And it really, that one really wasn't either. Um, <laughs> cause, cause there's, there's learning, there's learning about the thing you're making. There's, there's trying to make the thing you're making and there's learning about how to make things, which are totally different things also. True. But anyway, I, I, uh, I think we've, we've covered a tremendous amount of ground in this hour. We here. did. We did. We, 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 we hit all the angles. I think it was good. Yeah. But um, yeah. Anything else, anything else that I didn't think of? No. And scene. <laughs>